The mind by nature is radiant and pure, the Buddha said. It is shining. It is because of visiting forces known as defilements that we suffer. It is because of visiting forces known as defilements that we suffer. If we could do a comprehensive survey of the suffering that we've experienced in our life, or maybe just today, and understand that it was caused by a visiting force that appeared in the mind, I would want to know what the heck are these things? What are these defilements and what's the danger? I mean, how bad can they get? Because we know there's a lot of suffering in ourselves, in the world. And not only what are they and how bad can they be, but how can I work with them in practice as practice? Not just how can I get rid of them as practice. And then to fuel all that effort and understanding, what's the benefit of understanding the defilements? As one of my teachers, Saito Tejaniya, says, it's not you who removes the defilements. Wisdom does that job. It's understanding the defilements, what they are, how they arise, what they do, and how to work with them that frees us from the result of the defilements the suffering in our life. But because the defilements do appear, we all have ample evidence of that, the Buddha offered three trainings in the Noble Eightfold Path to address them. The first training is a training in Sila, where through undertaking the precepts and arousing a very refined attention to our intention and motivation, we purify our speech and behavior, putting aside the acting out of the defilements. We call them the transgressive defilements, the defilements that go against others, that harm others in some way. But even if we were to live very carefully speaking and acting with the utmost care, our mind could still be obsessed with what we'd like to do, <laughs> even though we're not doing it. And so the Buddha offered a second training in the Noble Eightfold Path, which is a training in calming the mind down, tranquilizing the mind. It is a training in samadhi, which is the purification of mind. Living in harmony or sila is a purification of our speech and behavior. But for obsessing in the mind, we need to purify the mind of the defilements and the hindrances. Nevertheless, even if we can establish the continuity of awareness that temporarily purifies the mind of the defilements, we know how hard and difficult it is to sustain that continuity. 
And so, inevitably, there arise conditions where we can't be mindful, or we choose not to be mindful, and it provides an entree for the defilements to arise. And so there's a third training that the Buddha offered, a subtler training, and yet a more powerful training, that is required to remove the latent or the potential defilements in the mind, and that is the practice of purifying our understanding through insight. These three trainings are only possible to the extent that we understand the defilements, that we understand them, we can work with them, we can uh, be aware of them, and we can realize their nature. This is the direction that our practice is taking us. In one way, we could say, no defilements, no need to practice. However, if you've seen any defilements today, there's still room for practice. So, what are the defilements, just in case you missed them? Well, it's all of our activities, behaviors, feelings, moods, thoughts, and beliefs that are rooted in greed or attachment, aversion, or delusion these are the defilements. The grossest forms of the defilements are rage, anger, greed, depression, panic, bewilderment, laziness. These are all defilements. The subtler form of them, or the other end of their spectrum, irritation, one of my favorites, impatience, <laughs> expectation, misbelief, disdain, a sense of entitlement. All of these, too, are rooted in delusion, aversion, or attachment. The interesting thing about defilements is they can only arise accompanied by, or I should say they always arise accompanied by delusion. Delusion appears in two forms, either not knowing or knowing wrongly. The not-knowing form of delusion is addressed by practicing awareness. If we can be aware, then there is a clear knowing. Delusion is not present. If delusion is not present, neither are any of the defilements. However, sometimes Delusion arises, and it causes knowing experience wrongly. We may know our experience, but we know it wrongly. And it is the development of wisdom or understanding that is needed to address that form of delusion. When delusion is accompanied by attachment, of course, we have clinging, attachment, pride, hanging on to wrong views and opinions. And when delusions accompanied by aversion, we have frustration, despair, self-pity, fear, and so on. In general, we should understand, and we will be able to confirm through our practice, that 
The defilements are so habitual and they arise so frequently that we take them for granted. We live with them as if this is the way it has to be, it always is, and who I am. In some ways we could say some of the defilements have become the default setting of our mind. It's our personality. A lot of our personality and our default way of approaching or avoiding or reacting to the world is just some deeply conditioned combination of the defilements. When we identify with them as me or I, who I am, the sense of I is embedded in the defilement. So when I feel or when I see or when, I, when impatience arises in the mind, I feel impatient or I am impatient. When anger arises in the mind that you are observing today, it feels like I am angry. We identify with what has arisen due to causes and conditions quite often out of our immediate control. But not only do we identify with them, we also appropriate them as mine. I own this. I'm proud. I have something to be proud about. And we get identified with owning these states of mind. The danger with these defilements is that they prevent us from living our life fully. We all know that we have some corners of fear in our heart, in our mind, that keeps us from fully and courageously exploring the fullness of what it's possible to experience as a human being. And why is that? Well, fear, sometimes, obstructs, limits our ability to open to the fullness of life. It's a defilement that obstructs living our life fully. It also, or I should say all of the hindrances, also hinder our progress in meditation. When we doubt ourselves, when we doubt our own understanding, when we doubt our own capacity, when we doubt our own ability, doubt our own energy, this hinders our practice. Or when the mind wanders endlessly, there's no benefit to practice. There's no understanding. And yet the mind just wanders. It is a hindrance that obstructs and hinders our practice. Or when the mind is speculating and has not resolved the question, is it, isn't it, which is the better practice, the breath or open attention? Which is the better tradition for me? And when the mind is caught in that kind of doubt, where there's no resolution in the mind, our practice is obstructed, it's hindered. 
And because of this obstruct, obstruction and hindrance, we don't find the peace and freedom that's possible through effective practice. That's the bad side. <laughs> the good side is these hindrances, these defilements, they are also the Dhamma. They are, when they arise, they're the way things are for now. And that's an important understanding to get into the mind. That when we take refuge in the Dharma, when we're practicing the Dharma, we're practicing to know the way things are. So that when any of the defilements arise, this is the field for our awareness. This is the field of attention, what to pay attention to. It's not a mistake. It's not bad practice to be aware of the defilements. We could say also that the defilements are a natural phenomena. They arise due to causes and conditions. They're not happenstance, they're not chaotic, they're not just adventitious. They are the result of causes and conditions coming together, producing this effect of the defilement. If we really want to understand the defilement, we'll look to the causes and conditions. Because if we understand the causes and can avoid the conditions, the defilements don't arise, or the sense of self does not get entangled in them. The defilements are to be known through awareness and are to be understood by wisdom. And this is our practice, to recognize, understand, recognize, be aware, and to understand the defilements. Uh, George Mumford, uh, a friend of ours, and who happens to be the mindfulness trainer of the Chicago Bulls and the L.A. Lakers under Phil Jackson, said, when you're not mindful, you're giving the defilements free rent in your mind. When you're not mindful, they have free rent. They're not just visitors to the mind. They've taken up residence in your mind. So, having a sense of these are the defilements, how bad can they be? What is the danger of these defilements? Well, all of you no doubt have seen today how unpleasant it is to struggle with any of the defilements that cause you suffering. The body gets restless, the mind gets frustrated, the, uh, we're upset about something, ourselves or others. Relentless judging, wandering mind. Is there anything but the defilements? Sometimes it seems like that's all there is. But it's because they visit the mind that we suffer, the Buddha said. I should mention here that the defilements are mental phenomena. It's not the body. The body is not angry. The body is not desiring. The body is not sleepy. It's the mind that's desiring, the mind that's angry. Of course, the mind conditions experience in the body. And so there's a, a very recognizable 
matrix of sensations in the body when the different defilements arise in the mind. But these are physical experiences. So when we say that defilements are these unwholesome mental states, they're karma. When the defilements arise in the mind and we indulge them or fuel them or are entangled in them, it is an unwholesome karmic act. Unwholesome karmic actions produce unpleasant results. Unpleasant results in the body, felt as tension, pain, agitation, just very intense unpleasantness in the body. Unpleasantness in the mind, a sense of disagreeableness, tension, stress. These are the result of unwholesome states of mind. Sometimes we think, if I can just avoid them, if I can just get rid of them, if I can just turn away from them, the defilements when they rise, that I'll be succeeding. But actually, avoiding, denying, minimizing only strengthens them. It feeds them. To deal with the defilements skillfully, practice would ask us to look at them, to really recognize them, and to look at them face on so that we see them for what they truly are. And I'll get to that in a minute. Because when the defilements are unrecognized and unobserved, they are ununderstood. We don't understand them. Now, when I say that the defilements are always accompanied by delusion, delusion obscures the object sometimes. We just don't see the way things are. For example, when the mind wanders away on a train of thought, and it's wandering from thought to thought to thought to thought, for that period of time, we don't know. We don't know what we're thinking. We don't know what we're feeling. We don't know whether we like it or not. We're not aware that we're sitting. We're not aware that we're in the hall. We're not aware that we're a person on retreat in California or anything else. Totally unaware. Not knowing what is going on. Amazing, isn't it? Not even there. And it consumes so much of our life. Or when we're lost in doubt, or when we're entangled in doubt, we may question whether this is the effective practice for liberating the mind. We don't know. We're lost in thoughts of doubt, or doubting thoughts about practice, about ourselves in practice, about the teachers of practice, about the Buddha, even. And when we're lost in that kind of doubt, we don't see that doubt's happening. But sometimes, as I mentioned, delusion obscures the nature of the object. Because when, for example, aversion arises in the mind, we see the object of our aversion. 
but we understand that object wrongly. Delusion causes us to see only the unpleasant aspect of that object. Later in the day, you can see that same object without aversion in the mind, and you don't see the unpleasant aspect. Maybe you have desire in the mind. When desire arises in the mind, it causes the mind to focus on or to take note of the pleasant aspect of the object. Delusion doesn't always obscure the object. It sometimes obscures our understanding of the object. We could say, then, that the defilements, because they arise with delusion, they enchant the mind. We fall under the spell of enchantment, the defilements and the delusion, filling up the mind with some hallucinatory wrap that we believe. And when we believe it, we don't see it. Entangling, and by not seeing it, the mind is entangled in all kinds of suffering. Well, let's look at these defilements just a little bit more before we get to practicing with them. When I mentioned that the Buddha offered three trainings, I mentioned that there are three gradients of defilements. The first is transgressive defilements. When we speak or act without awareness, acting out a defiled state of mind, there's no knowledge, there's no awareness, and there's no understanding. In fact, we could say that the defilement has full control of the mind and the body. We're not there. It's just being acted out through our speech, through our behavior, every moment of which is planting seeds of unpleasantness. So when we're angry and speaking it or acting it, or when we're impatient, or when we're just pursuing our desire or lust, or when we're just inflated and reveling in our pride, all of these are blindly acting out, either in speech or behavior, one of the defilements. The danger with that, the danger with the transgressive defilements is that it sets up a cause, a chain of causation, really. The defilement arises in the mind. It precipitates or it conditions thinking, motivation. The motivation conditions intention, and we speak or we act karmically. And because of that karmic act, we will experience the karmic result, unpleasantness. The danger is we don't give it a second thought. We act it out with full energy, full intention, no regrets, no remorse, and the karma is just that much more powerful. If there's a little bit of awareness, if there's a little bit of understanding, if there's a little bit of knowledge, we hesitate to act so boldly, so badly. And that's good. To hesitate acting out the defilements is a skillful state of mind.
That's the first training that the Buddha offered. The second is when the mind is filled with uh, defilements. And this, unfortunately, is where we spend a lot of practice in the, uh, having protected ourselves here by undertaking the precepts, we're not acting out too badly. Maybe occasionally, but not too badly. Nevertheless, the mind, it can still be, as you know, pretty obsessed. We may recognize in that obsession that the mind is defiled, but we can't stop it. We can't just say, stop, and have it stop. Why? Because of the deeply conditioned habit of resorting to that state of mind over and over again. In the past, unconsciously. Now, in the present, it's, we're not unconscious about it, but we can't kind of immediately arrest the momentum of that habit. But as we just practice awareness, just practice being mindful of what has arisen in this moment, the object that's arisen, the state of mind that's arisen. If we're aware of our defilement, we're not. A moment of awareness of defilement is not a defiled moment. So if you feel any of the defilements, but you're aware of it, in that moment of awareness, you're free of that defilement. Now, it may take a persistent awareness, recognition, and noting to not feel like you're overwhelmed. For example, many of you here have been practicing metta last week. Metta is the antidote for any form of aversion. When you, when you feel aversion arises in the mind, if you can practice metta diligently, then temporarily we can put aside the aversion. However, as I mentioned, even if we aren't speaking and acting carelessly, and if we are able to be mindful much of the time, the latent defilements occur or happen because sometimes we don't note. Sometimes we're not aware. And the understanding of the latent defilements is any object, any experience that arises in the mind that is unrecognized or unnoted goes into the mind carrying the seed of potential defilement. And once it's in the mind, it stays there. Let me say that again. Any unnoted object, any unnoted experience that you have, or that you feel, or that occurs in the mind or the body, if it's unnoted, it goes into the stream of the mind, carrying the potential for defilement. And when conditions arise, the defilement can manifest. Let me give you an example. We all grew up in a family of origin, 
and a lot of things went down there that uh, weren't always uh, what we would wish. But we were young, we were forgetful, and we survived somehow and don't remember, thank goodness, until we start looking, until we start practicing. And often there is what I call personal history review, comes up in practice, where we start to see the events of our life with awareness. Things that we haven't thought of in years, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years, suddenly come into view. They weren't noted at the time they went into the mind, but now, because they have arisen and are seen, we get angry, we get frustrated, we feel ashamed, we feel humiliated, we get judgmental. We, we, it didn't happen then, but it's happening now. Because the potential for the defilement was carried into the mind by the unnoted experience in the past. Well, how many moments did you not note today? <sighs> okay, well, there's some more opportunity there for, in the mind, the experience is in the mind. You know, you've gone through the lunch line, you've looked at everybody here dozens of times today, and while in the protection of this environment and you're not acting things out, nevertheless, the object of potential defilement has entered the mind. We got a challenge here. Because how are we going to prevent these defilements from arising eventually? That's the challenge, isn't it? Because at any time, conditions come together, something arises in the mind. Even if you go off to a cave, you know, you go off to a cave, you go off to a monastery, you go off to a retreat, meditation retreat. You go off, you go into a really protected, safe, secluded place. You still have your mind with you. Or I should say, the mind is there. And there's just lots of opportunity there to get just as entangled in defilements as if you were downtown. But because of the encouragement to, to practice and the encouragement to uh, understand, really look at these states of mind, how they arise, when they arise, what they do to you, then we can begin to understand the defilements. Because it's through understanding the defilements that we will not act them out, not be obsessed and catch them as soon as they appear in the mind. So, how do we do that? How do we work with the defilements? Well, first we have to know that there are these defilements. Somebody will always ask, well, how many are there? You know, there are the five hindrances and there's the ten fetters and there's the this, that. Well, Mahasi Sayadaw, the granddaddy of this tradition, one of our traditions of practice, says that there are over a thousand listed in the Buddhist sutras and commentaries. Now, we could start a list, but it'd probably be depressing. <laughs> so, 
let's just assume that there's at least a dozen and, <laughs> and work with them. Um, but knowing that there are these states of mind and knowing that they're dangerous, then we can begin the work, and this is work, to recognize them, to just recognize them in our, in our own experience. And we may think, well, if I know their defilements and they appear in the mind, of course I'm going to recognize them. But we don't. We have learned how to live quite comfortably with them. They don't even rattle our cage often. Sometimes they get pretty outrageous and then we notice them. But so much of the defilements, so much of them are habits of mind that we're accustomed to. We accept, we, we take for granted, we, we kind of tolerate. And if you don't know what your matrix of major defilements are, ask your partner. <laughs> they know, maybe better than you. I have to thank Kamala for reminding me of uh, my, my, my conglomeration of them. But just coming out of the fog of the delusion, out of the fog of denial, is very, very challenging. What we're doing here in practicing awareness is developing the capacity to be straight with ourselves. We may think, or you may think, I'm just paying attention to the breath. Breathing in, know it. Breathing out, know it. That's right. But when the power of that truth-telling gets strong and other experience arises in the mind, fear and shame and irritation and impatience, you also see that without any explanation, without any avoidance, without any denial, without any rationalization, and you see it for what it is. This is the first step. If we don't see, we can't work with it. If we don't see the defilements, we don't know they're there. We say that naming the defilements begins to tame them. It begins to acknowledge, we begin to acknowledge to ourselves that this is what has arisen and we're not in denial of it, we're not in fear of it. We're also not completely entangled in it because to name them we have to step back and look at them. And that in that stepping back we kind of mm, disidentify a little bit from that state of mind. This is, this is an important first step, just recognizing what the state of mind is that's arisen. But most of us have some wish not to be like that, not to be angry, not to be impatient, not to be greedy, not to be uh, self-conscious, not to be depressed, not to be despairing, not to be fearful. And so often when we first begin to recognize the defilements, we have a lot of agitation. There's a lot of agitation, there's a lot of judgment, there's a lot of, I don't like myself for being like this. The second step, or the second 
second movement towards the defilements is to relax. Just relax. Don't be careful not to add to the burden of the defilement by disliking it or judging it or judging yourself. Relax. And when I say relax, I mean to acknowledge and accept this is the way it is for me for now. Meaning don't don't resist it. Don't 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 try to avoid it. But just fully accept that this is the way it is. That begins to allow you to, to actually feel it with some awareness and acknowledgement. Saito Tejaniya says, it's perfectly natural to become sleepy, especially on retreat. If you feel bad about sleepiness, it means that you have aversion towards it and you'll try to resist it. This is a wrong attitude. Simply recognize and accept the sleepiness. And as long as you observe it with the right attitude, then you're meditating. But so often we get into a struggle with sleepiness or any of the other problems and trying to get rid of them so that we can then meditate. Dealing with the sleepiness is the meditation. That's the practice, is recognizing it, working with it, being aware of it. When we know that sleepiness or any of the other defilements arise due to causes and conditions, it begins to depersonalize the defilements. We don't make them happen. We don't invite them to happen. They're deeply conditioned. We've allowed them to happen. So acknowledge and accept when they happen, when they arise, and see that or understand that it's due to causes and conditions that they arise. If we understand the causes and conditions, we can prevent the arising. What are the causes and conditions? If the defilements arise due to causes and conditions, well, what are they? The first is wrong attention. When we don't pay attention carefully, it gives room for the defilements to arise in the mind. Another is weak energy. When we're you know, wavering in our willingness to be there. You know, we've got good energy for the first 20 minutes of the sitting and then we coast for the next 20 minutes. That's when the defilements will come. Wrong attention, weak energy, Sometimes our motivation is wrong. Sometimes we just want to get rid of them. Sometimes we are attempting to create a good experience from a past retreat or a past sitting. This is a problem. This is attachment. Wrong effort. Wrong understanding. But when we practice with right attention, careful awareness, and persevering energy, then we can begin to to really see the defilements when they arise and relax, not be kind of bullied by them. Recognizing them, first step. Relaxing or just acknowledging them, second step. The third step is to 
reflect, actually reflect carefully about these defilements or this defilement that has arisen and understand that it's a visitor to the mind, that it is an unwholesome or an unskillful state of mind, that you can exercise some restraint. And exercising restraint is really important so that we don't act them out. You know, some people say, you know, if you feel angry, you should express it, get it out, get it over with, move on. Well, in this understanding, in this tradition, it's if you get it out and express it, you're just strengthening that. So it's exercising restraint, not acting out, because we've reflected on how unskillful that is and the unpleasantness that's sure to suffer. Some ways that we can exercise restraint is through replacing the cause of the defilement with another object. Have you ever noticed, sometimes you'll be sitting in the hall and the mind is just in an obsessive froth. And it just, you cannot cut it. And you open your eyes and you realize all that was going on, it's not happening here. It's just going on in the mind. And if you just open your eyes and start noting present moment visual objects, present moment sounds, present moment sensations, you're still being mindful, but you're completely out of the defilement, not from understanding, but nevertheless from exercising some restraint. This is an invaluable tool. Just open your eyes when it gets overwhelming. Take a look around. This is where it's all happening. Another way is to uh, undertake some reflections. For those of you who've been practicing metta, when aversion arises and you reflect on metta, often it can put aside the aversion. Or if you're feeling doubtful, you can recall some faithful experiences or stories that you've heard that inspire faith in you as a way of overcome, temporarily overcoming your doubt. Or when you feel blamed or that you are blaming others, well, you can practice forgiveness. These are ways of temporarily putting aside a defilement through skillful use of thought. You know, sometimes we think, oh, mindfulness practice or insight practice is, uh, you know, you're not supposed to think or thinking is the enemy. Actually, that's not true. There is the skillful use of thought in practice that supports practice. And for that, we would encourage you. If we can restrain our acting out in any of these ways, then we can reframe our understanding. As I mentioned, many of us have deeply embedded in the mind a wrong understanding of the defilements. We take them personally. They feel like they're ever-present, that we can never get rid of them, that I'm to blame for them. Wrong understandings. And so to reframe, to cognitively reframe your understanding, recognize these defilements are part of the Dharma. They are a natural activity of the mind that arise due to causes and conditions. 
because they are deeply conditioned, we do need to be persistent, patient. We do need to be patient. So we can call forth this patience just to recognize this is a habit I have, or a habit that comes to mind, or a habit that I don't see and often act out. But even though we're patient, we should also be persistent in noting them and understanding that they're just a visitor to the mind. They don't own the house. They're just visiting. Again, as Saito Tejaniya says, the wandering mind, that's not the problem. Your attitude that it should not be wandering, that's the problem. The object is not really important, but how you observe it or view it is. Did you have wandering mind today? Was that a problem? We think it's a problem, and it's that thought that makes it a problem. If we could see the wandering mind for just what it was, there'd be awareness and understanding. What's the problem? Yogis make the mistake, he says, of expecting or hoping for good experience rather than being willing and trying to work with the defilements. Now, let me just ask, how many of you came here hoping for good experience? Yeah. How many came here knowing and willingly open to working with the defilements 24-7? That's what practice is. The essence of practice is discovering, uncovering, working with, freeing the mind temporarily and hopefully permanently, from the defilements. That's the work. There's a lot of benefits along the way. Let's not get bogged down, as someone was asking me today. Well, where's the list of all the good things that come in practice? You know, and I said, hey, there's five kinds of joy. There's ten kinds of equanimity. There's, there's lots of good things. They'll come if you do the practice. If we practice, if we can exercise the restraint, if we can reframe our understanding, then we can begin to be fully aware. And what I mean by that is to fully just accept and feel what it feels like. What does anger feel like? What does desire feel like? What does pride feel like? What does fear feel like? What does sleepiness feel like? We all have these experiences. We know we have these experiences. We can talk about them. We know the story about them. But have we ever really paid attention to what they feel like? What is the nature of sleepiness to take a common defilement of the first few days of retreat? We've all felt sleepy probably today. What can you actually say about it? The experience of sleepiness. Where do you feel it? What does it feel like in the mind? What does it feel like in the body? How long does it last if you're paying attention to it? What does it do to your thoughts? What kind of thoughts do you have when you're sleepy? Where does it start? Where does it end 
just before you fall asleep. We've all felt sleepy many, hundreds, thousands of times. But it's difficult to answer those questions, in part because we haven't paid careful enough attention. This practice asks us to pay very close, careful attention, not necessarily to answer those questions, but to discover them if they're to be found through paying attention. To know for ourselves, this is the nature of fear. This is the nature of desire. This is the nature of depression. This is the nature of despair. This is the nature of any other defilement that arises in the mind. There's two ways that we can investigate the defilements. And one is to recognize when they arise and to attend to what we know about them, to feel them in the body or how they condition experience in the body, to feel them in the mind, to see the kind of thoughts. And that's a familiar way of focusing on and attending to the presently arising experience. But there's another way of investigating the defilements which can be helpful. Particularly for those defilements that seem to be repetitive. You've seen them over and over and over again. And you know their story. You know what they feel like. You know when they come. Okay. Next time it arises, acknowledge that. Here you are, familiar visitor. You know the story, you know the sensations, you know the feelings. Put that aside and just ask yourself, what else is going on here? What about this situation has not yet been recognized? And asking those questions can open up the space of the mind to let in or to see what has not yet been seen in that situation. And sometimes it's just the piece of information, it's the piece of knowledge that's needed to really understand how this state of mind hooks you or how you get entangled in this state of mind. And as we pay attention to the defilements and all of its manifestations, then we begin to realize something about them. What we realize is they don't last very long. If we really look, we see they don't last. They may come for a while, but if we're not repeating the story and reaffirming the story, and we're just looking directly at and observing them, they're really not that enduring. They are pretty flimsy. They may come back repeatedly, frequently, but in a moment of observation, they can't stand up. Secondly, even though we're sometimes seduced by defilements, thinking, oh, this is so nice, 
you know, planning your vacation and uh, planning other enjoyable things to do, good defilement. When we focus on the object of our defilement rather than the feeling of the defilement, we can be fooled. We can be fooled and think that, oh, this is really pleasant. This is really uh, enjoyable. What we realize when we pay careful attention is that defilements are not pleasant. When defilements arise in the mind, they're always unpleasant. If we're focusing, if we're attuned to paying attention to the defilement itself, how it manifests in the mind, rather than the object of the defilement. So look at that. And the third understanding that we realize from observing the defilement is that they're pretty insubstantial. Their thoughts and feelings, they're pretty wispy. And when you're attending to them, not identified with them, they really don't have much substance. They feel awfully real. You know, when you're caught in an obsession of, you know, anger or fear or whatever, it really feels pretty, pretty big. But as we learn to steady our attention and see them for what they truly are, we'll see. They're really not that big. They're really not that substantial. But this kind of knowledge can only come from being willing to engage, being willing to acknowledge them, to observe them, to feel them, to understand them. And it's this understanding that frees us from them, temporarily, initially, freeing us in, in a moment or when they arise, but ultimately uprooting them from the mind because we understand. We understand the nature of the defilements individually and as a whole. And it is this uprooting from the mind that is the source of liberation. If they're not uprooted from the mind, the potential is still there. Liberation is the result of uprooting the defilements from the mind. We may get a glimpse, we may have a moment of freedom, of liberation, of spaciousness, but that changes. Everything changes. And until the mind has been freed of the potential of all these defilements, then the possibility is still there. True liberation is the freeing of the mind uprooting from the mind the potential of all the defilement. Always remember, Sayadaw says, that it is not you who removes the defilements. Wisdom does the job. However, when you are continuously aware, wisdom unfolds naturally. So let's sit for a moment.
let the words settle down. Use the appearance of the defilements as an opportunity to investigate their nature, their natural phenomena. They're not your defilement. Everyone experiences them. And as long as you're aware of the defilements, you're doing well. listening to the Dhamma. So there's uh, 45 minutes for walking, and I know some of you have chores. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.